On today's episode of Double Down Trent, we are looking back at NFL's wild card weekend. What a weekend of games. We had overtime. We had bad coaches. We had a little bit of everything. I would love to know what Bill Belichick and Sean Payton were doing at the end of those games. You've come to know us here at Double Down Trent for having the bad coaches segment. Well, our very own insider Coulter breaks this down while we're breaking down the games. That's right folks a two for one unfortunately this week the model could not join us he is off on assignment he's in the lab somewhere crunching numbers analyzing his performance ready to come back even stronger but Coulter and I are holding down the fort as we look ahead to the divisional round of playoffs there's a lot of value out there on the board folks so we break it down for you as best we can and not to mention we've got the national championship LSU Clemson so stay tuned for episode 64 of Double Down Trent. Double Down Trent, you might want to tune in. Talking gambling and sports, predicting who might win. Pop culture to movies. Let's start up the combo. Ryan and Aaron, man versus the motto. Keep it authentic and it's always live. So competitive, so you know it's always hype. Make sure you subscribe. Trust you don't want to miss. Going all in here on Double Down Trent. Hey, yeah. Double Down Trent, let's go. This is Double Down Trent. All right, welcome to Double Down Trent, the podcast where two elementary school buddies are talking sports, gambling, and pop culture. My name is Ryan. I am your co-host. This week's episode, our co-host Aaron, the model, is sitting out. It's a tough schedule for podcasters. Even podcasters need a week off. So the model is in the lab crunching some numbers. So this week, I am joined by our NFL insider, Coulter. Welcome to the show, bud. How you doing today? I'm doing great. You know, this is the time to be alive. January playoff football. You know, it's a blessing and a curse, though, is because you have so much time to think about these games and uh, you end up wavering and back and forth. You go, you think you have the right side and then you you switch. Um, so it, it's definitely a tough time to bet on these games, but it's, it's also a fun time because it's the culmination of a season's long work. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I changed my picks last week minimum five times. Watching the games was stressful enough as it was. I had to record the early game on Saturday, catch up on it. It was stressful for me, and we'll get into a lot of the reasons as to why. Obviously, we were gambling and had some money on the line. I felt bad for my fiance AK. She had to sit there and listen and watch me freak out the entire weekend. But guess what? We're right back at it this weekend with four more games. Yeah, I was going to say, they're all, they're all pretty close, too, with the spread. Uh, even Philadelphia, which that was the one game that seemed like it was out of hand, never really got out of hand. And, uh, you know, I ended up going with all dogs and all unders and somehow the dogs broke even at two and two, even without that, even without Carson Wentz for the Eagles. Um, and the unders ended up going four and oh, so I felt like I ended up doing halfway decent, but I mean, there was probably a point last week where I had all four, right. And I ended up flip-flopping way too many times. Yeah. And not to look ahead, but I've done that already like five times, maybe six times with this weekend's picks. But I also do want to point out. You got to get a major props here because what was the like major takeaway that you made? And I tweeted out from our double down trend account. Do not do a new England, new Orleans money line parlay. And damn, there was never truer words spoken. I heard Aldo rain just echoing my ears all weekend. It ain't, it ain't, if it's too good, it ain't just don't <laughs> bet on something. that looks that simple. If, if you think that it is a home run, 
You know, if someone is at the bar is saying, put $500 on New England and New, uh, New Orleans, don't. Don't do that. <laughs> Whatever you do, if it's something so basic like that, always run the opposite direction. So, yeah, uh, I was happy to give out some good advice to the listeners on that one. Hopefully people listened and didn't go against me on that because that would have resulted in not only a loss, but a double loss. Double I mean, loss. It, not that it matters. You don't lose twice to the bookie. But, I mean, going yeah. 0-2 on that must have been brutal. You just feel like an idiot. I just couldn't fathom that both of those teams would lose. I mean, if you had a parlay on that, if you took Vikings, Titans. That, oh, my yeah. God. That must have paid out unbelievably well. Um, so we got a lot to cover. We've got games to recap. we got games to look ahead. we got new hires. we got a we got a championship game in college. So there's a lot on the docket. Let's just jump right in. Let's jump right in with the very first game of the weekend, and that was the Bills and the Texans. <laughs> I don't even know what to make of this game. Even after I've sat here after how many days it's been, four or five days, I just I don't know how the, the Bills didn't win that game. They were up 13-0 at halftime, dominating that game. I just can't figure out how they blew it. It was a meltdown by Josh Allen and the coaching staff, I think also didn't do a great job on Buffalo's part in the second half. And that's why you take Houston in this situation. They're not, I mean, we went over the line last week, two and a half. Why do you take Houston experience? I, the home field thing, it doesn't really matter. I throw home field out, but when you have the better quarterback and you have the experience, you always go with a team that's not favored by even a field goal. I mean, what disrespect to Houston This is a team that's been in the playoffs year in and year out Buffalo showed their true start, their true colors, you know, in that game, they melted down in the second half. They'd never been there before. Allen looked like he was back in college. I couldn't believe some of the things he was doing with the ball and the play calling, you know, getting him sacked and the turnovers. It was just a, I, I felt bad for Buffalo because they've had enough trauma, but yeah. I, as I was telling my buddy during the game, it was a halftime and Houston was four to one on the money line. I said, if I had money in my Povada account, I'd be putting <laughs> it on Houston because Buffalo is traumatized. This is like betting against the Browns. You want to do that in the playoffs. And so, yeah, yeah Buffalo just, a, it was hard to watch because I was, you know, Buffalo has been through so much, but from a gambling point of view, it's predictable. I mean, when you get two and a half, a low line, you get team with experience. You got to take the team with the yeah. experience. And I got to give you credit there as well. You, you called that. You said, don't pick the bills. There's no value on that one. I, I ended up on Buffalo. I should say. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, I thought Buffalo was going to win outright. That's why I, th I thought it was enough to take the plus two and a half. Um, ended up being on the wrong side of that one. But uh, I mean, Josh Allen, like you said, he, he played fine in the first half, but then there's points where he was just taking sacks that just you can't take as a quarterback in that spot in that game. So I'm going to run you back here um, for all of our listeners. You know that Coulter and I, in this podcast, we've been focusing on bad coaching. We're just going to kind of mix this all in as we break down the games. We're not going to do a separate segment here. Like so do we're, we're putting the carrots and the celery all at once. <laughs> so here's the scenario. Okay. We, and we knew Bill O'Brien. We've talked about him at, at length here. So we knew he was going to make some bad mistakes, but it, to be honest, I thought, McDermott was going to do a little bit better here. So the thing that stands out to me is this point in the game, that fourth and 27 decision in at the end of the fourth quarter, there's, I think there was probably about a minute, something left to go in the game. So under two minutes. Yeah. yeah. I'll run it back for you. So it's third and 13. The bills have the ball on the Texans 28 yard line. They're down three. Okay. This is where Allen takes pretty much takes the sack, but instead throws it away and then ends up taking the intentional grounding penalty. That cost him 14 yards and a 10-second runoff on the clock. The runoff was crucial, too. Yeah. Crucial. And the yards, too. So now it's fourth and 27 with a minute 43 to go, and the ball's now on the Texans' 42-yard line. Now, McDermott goes for it there on fourth and 27. 
What are your odds of, of going, of getting that? It's gotta be so small that it makes no sense to do that. Zero sense. And then to make it worse, Allen takes the sack. Takes it so, again. Yeah. Yeah. Again. So my question to you is why don't you either attempt a 59 yard field goal, which is, it, that's not guaranteed. That's probably a miss or at least punt the ball. You've got three timeouts left, pin them deep, rely on your defense. That's been dominating all game, burn your timeouts and then give Josh Allen a chance with a short field to get a field goal there. Yeah. And you put it out. The defense was doing great too. That was the most, uh, almost the most excruciating part of that is Buffalo's defense. I still almost think this probably might've been the best defense in this postseason, And now they're sitting at home all because their quarterback had horrible situational awareness and their head coach just, you nailed it. That was the sequence right there. That uh, exchange of plays really rendered them as the losers. And they didn't really get any better in overtime either. So it was like, it was just a complete downhill. Once the second half started, it was just like, it was like the show Dexter. It just got perpetually worse minute by minute for the bills until it ended. Um, yeah. It just a heartbreaker for Buffalo. They, yeah. they had it too. They, they started out, you know what it reminded me of too. Alan, the way Allen was playing reminded me of Mitch Trubisky and how uh, Nagy scripts plays for him. They looked like the best team in football coming out of the gate. Yep. Scripted plays. They obviously had, I mean, what did Allen have? He had almost a hundred yards rushing, I think. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. He had a great job rushing. Yeah. And, and you mentioned the field goal from 59. One thing I noticed in all four of these games is there's a real apprehension amongst these coaches to kick the ball over 50 yards. It was uh, very noticeable. I think in every game, uh, new England had a shot to do it. Buffalo had a shot to do it. I think Philly had a shot to do it and they just opted not to do it. Whether they went for it or punted it just really questionable calls. I feel like maybe it's cause it's wild card weekend. It's not the divisional round. I don't understand. You're in the playoffs. Yeah. If you think your kicker can kick it, and I think I've seen this guy Hauschka make kicks before from that distance, trust him. I mean, why not? What do you have to lose? Yeah, it's worth a shot there. And then, so then Somehow I wanna, they ended up getting the field goal. I mean, well, I, I was going to tell you that, yeah, yeah, I want your your breakdown on this <laughs> one because the, the game's not over there. You think it would be over. So the Texans not with get Bill the ball back. Though. Yeah, exactly. We're not letting Bill off the hook here, okay? Now that they've got the ball on the Bills 39 yard line, they do three consecutive runs in a row, very conservative. And then on third and two, in that situation, he doesn't trust Deshaun Watson on some kind of bootleg RPO. He just gives a little dive. The Bills stuff him. Okay, so now here's the situation that I would like to ask you. Three runs in a row, three timeouts by the Bills. Now it's fourth and one. On the Bills' 31-yard line, you're up three. You Bills go have for no it timeouts. every, every Bills, time. Yep, and I wanted to get your opinion on that one because I agreed with the call to go for it there. You have one shot to win the game. I, I like that. But your options were you kicked a field goal, right? So that's a 48-yard field goal. That forces the Bills to score a touchdown to win it. You punt it and pin him deep, which I don't like. Or you go for it there, which is, I think, the right call. But he just does a QB sneak with, with Deshaun Watson. Unlike uh, Hauschka, I think the reason why they didn't kick the field goal is Fairbairn has been very hit or miss this year. I don't think he's a bad kicker by any stretch of the means. Like, if you asked me, do you, should I take this guy on my fantasy team? I wouldn't say, like, no, no, no. But he's been inconsistent, so I get why they didn't want to use him in that spot. But you, then if you don't want to use your kicker, that's fine. Go for it. Like, it's yeah. end, end of decision. Uh, I, the whole situation with Texans, I, I, I can't believe that game ended up going to overtime. I was watching I that, either. and I was stunned that Buffalo – with this quarterback, by the way, Allen, who was a shell of himself, managed to get them into field. The whole thing was – it just was a co bad coaching clinic. Um, surprisingly, I think it got contagious because it affected all the other coaches. Yeah. <laughs> the, the other six coaches weren't much better. I mean I guess Mike Rabel and Mike Zimmer weren't totally horrible. 
Um, but they did some funky things too that were weird. But I mean, Sean Payton and Bill Belichick got out coached by both of them, which was really bizarre. I mean, Payton, who I've been praising on this podcast all year, really was not good. And yeah. Belichick got schooled there, not only at the end, but a couple of the times where we just were talking about the field goal. You know, maybe he was freaked out by the bad kicking. I don't really know what the hell was going on in that game. Yeah, good segue. Let's go to that game, Patriots-Titans. So if I told you before the game started that the Patriots are going to hold the Titans to 14 points on offense, 272 yards of total offense, that Tannehill would go 8 for 15 for 72 yards passing, and they still lose the game, I don't think anybody would have ever believed you. They didn't just lose the game. They blew they blew up everybody's teasers and parlays and every sort of weird extra, uh, you know, exotic bet you could have made on New England. It got torn to shred with that pick six at the end, which is, again, another reason why you probably shouldn't gamble. Because, yeah, <laughs> imagine if you had Patriots plus one or plus two and it's at the end of the game and Brady just throws that pick. But what about the punt at the end? The too? Punt. So Belichick yeah. pulls out the punt returner and then the ball goes all the way to the one yard line. It's so stupid. It, I feel like if you just have a guy there to ret- catch the ball, fair catch it. Give Brady a shot. I mean, at the 20 yard line, we we've seen this guy. He can chuck the ball deep. I mean, we, I know they don't have a deep threat this year and their receivers have been awful, but I mean, I'm still scared if, if I'm Tennessee and Brady has the ball for a minute from the, you know, 80 so, yards to go. I'm still frightened. You know, I've got this exact breakdown. Cause I want, as I told you before we started you, recording, you were I watching watch the tape here. Okay. Yeah. So here's the, here's the exact scenario as it plays out. The Patriots forced the punt. Okay. Now it's fourth down. The Titans are punting. There's 25 seconds left in the game, and I watched this play like the fucking Zapruder film. I broke it down frame by frame so I could see exactly what's going on here. I, for the life of me, do not know why. Elman was on the field. so He was. Every- he was, like, playing, like, a mid-center field yeah. or something. It was such a bizarre Which thing. Makes no, it makes no sense. If you want to tell me that they put every guy on the line to try and block it and no returners back, Maybe I get that, but I still yeah. don't understand it. Send but Jules. Back- if you're going to do an all out punt block, send right. somebody in there to punt block. Yeah. Right. So they don't do that. Okay. The punt, I watched it. The punt landed on the, on the Patriots 20 yard line with 20 seconds left. If Elman fair catches that, you're not telling me that Tom Brady can't march you down. What? 40 yards, 30 yards to attempt, at least attempt a game winning field goal by not catching it. The ball rolls to the one yard line. Like we know now it's down to 15 seconds. You've got no shot. So, I mean, the pick six was irrelevant. They weren't going to get the field goal anyway with 15 seconds and the ball on the one yard line. Yeah. I just don't, I would love to know what was going through Bill's uh, head at that moment. And he's not never going to say it. I think that the clear thing is, is there was a real indictment on the receiving uh, core. Cause I, what it really outlined in the moment to me was my gut reaction to that whole exchange, which is again, bad coaching. I'm not trying to justify it was he thought the best chance he trusted his special teams to get that play made, you know, the 11 guys on special teams to make the play more than he trusted his playmakers. Um, and that kind of is like a metaphor for their season. Their special teams carried them to wins earlier in the year, as we talked about on this podcast and the receivers just were not explosive. I mean, white was their leading receiver in the game. I think what was the other guy? Watson and Burkhead. I mean, Brady basically did not have, any receivers engaged in that game. So at that point, maybe Belichick was just looking at it and thought, you know what? He can't connect with Nikhil Harry or Sanu or Dorsett. 
what a horrible group of receivers, by the way. I mean, just, yeah, I think I meant they might've gotten six catches or seven. Catches I, I completely them. agree with everything you're saying there too, but I still don't understand what you're doing with Edelman, either put yeah. him on the line and bring him or have him right. fair catch it. Bring him. Yeah. You and I have played football before. Yeah. You're going to go all out pump block, go all out and pump block. You know right. what I'm saying? And you know, that game was the, the irony is not only did Vrabel out coach Belichick and he got him with that uh, runoff. Yeah. Thing. I think it was like five minutes five left. Minute. Yep. But the other thing that I noticed in that game is Patriot special teams were their bread and butter, but Tennessee, that guy Kern, you know, not to state the obvious is an all pro, but I, I noticed that when he played the Broncos last year, this guy's a great fucking punter yeah. and Baltimore better be worried because as good as Justin Tucker is at kicking, this guy Kern is like, he could be a difference maker, you know, with nine and a half of the spread, not to go too far ahead, but this guy's great. I yeah. think he, he's like the story that nobody's talking about. He's an all pro punter. And he's a very important part of this team. And, you know, they don't have a kicker as we went over last week, which is frightening, but they do have a hell of a punter. And he had, he had a great game. Well, you know opinion. who was ironically talking him up and talking that this is one of the biggest weapons that the Titans have? Bill Belichick in the pregame conferences, like leading so he up should the have game. Known. Yeah. He should have known this. So that's what's totally mind blowing. Now, this punt, remind me, Coulter, is going to come up later in this podcast. Just don't forget it. OK, so let's go. The, the last the last current punt. Yes, the last. He had, a, he had a couple of good ones. I yeah. think it was it. He was like four of six or four of seven inside the twenty. I mean, you gotta love a punter who does that in the playoffs because that's really, especially that bad passing offense of theirs. When you pin them, it yep. is that is like glory. Yeah, that is you, absolute glory. When you're playing the time of clock possession, field possession, running the ball kind of game, then you need that, and he delivered it for them. So. Uh, I'm going to come back to that one, but let's go to Sunday's games and let's start with the Saints Vikings, because I think that to me was the second biggest shock. And I had the Saints. I took them minus, I think, eight. I had them as my best bet. Yeah, I'm shocked by that. I, th- I think that they lost straight up was actually the biggest shock of the weekend because I really liked Tennessee in the points. Um, it turned out, you know, we didn't need the points in that New England game because they won straight up. But I, you know, I like the Vikings in the points, too, but I definitely would never have taken the Vikings money line. That was a very bold bet. Um, again, though, the, it was so shocking that Peyton just did not have an answer. And, you know, we'll get to it in our bet section, but. Mike Zimmer just took out Alvin Kamara in that game, which is very frightening if you're a Saints fan because with Breeze getting older and older, and yeah, Thomas is an all-pro, and I love that guy. He's great, but Kamara is kind of the engine of this team. He needs to be as good as Christian McCaffrey is if this team has longevity and is going to be back in this situation next year. And it didn't appear that Peyton had a way to get this guy really involved in the game. I mean, he ended up with... I think just seven carries and a handful of catches. I mean, maybe he had a couple more catches towards the end, but it was just, it wasn't a great game from Alvin Kamara. He didn't even top 70 yards. I don't think I was going to say, I've got this information. How many touches overall do you think he had in that entire game? Uh, 14, 15, 15. He had including seven carries for 21 yards. You can't do that. You've got to get him the ball. I agree. If if you're a fan, you've got to be very worried. And, you know, you know, my opinions on Taysom Hill, he looked great in that yep. game. And so I'll yep. eat my words. I've always kind of poo pooed that guy as an element, but I think I'm actually right here because Peyton gets too entangled with his Taysom Hill fucking game plan that he doesn't get the ball into the hands of the actual weapon. Hill is a nice little asset, a nice little trick play guy. Your asset is Alvin Kamara. You don't, you don't run plays for Taysom Hill. You run plays for Alvin Kamara. Very concerning if you're a Saints fan. I mean, the the three losses in a row is bad. The way they've lost. I mean, people talk about this all week. 
I'm more concerned about the future of the team with Breeze declining in age uh, and then then not being able to find out a way to get Kamara the ball. And I mean, the counter to that is look at Dalvin Cook. He did have a great game running the football, but what did he have? 20 plus 25 plus carries. And then dominated the the game. Yeah. They had Madison involved too. Where the hell is Latavius Murray? I mean, he had good runs early in that game and then they went away from him. The whole, it was preposterous to me that Hill was the one that, was the leading rusher. Just so yeah. silly. And I've got a bad coaching scenario for you here. So let's break it down. Because yeah. I was going to say, I know there's tape to be had here as well. Yeah. So this is Sean Payton who we praised throughout the season. I, I still think is one of the better coaches in the league who just totally mismanages the clock here. So let me give you the scenario. They now stop Minnesota. Okay. It's uh, Minnesota's up three points with two forty-five left to go in the game. They stop them on third down. It's a running clock. There's two forty-five. The Saints have a timeout and the two-minute warning to use, yep. right? They don't call a timeout there. They make Minnesota punt with 2.05 on the clock. That now takes the clock over the two-minute warning. So you've wasted the two-minute warning now on the punt. The clock stops at a minute 50-something there, and now they take over the ball. If you call a timeout there with 2.45, you get the ball back, stoppage of clock with about 2.35 yeah. left, with the two minute warning and drew Brees and, and all you need is a field goal to win it or a field goal to tie it and a touchdown to win it. I can't believe he didn't do that. Cause now you burn your two minute warning, right now they drive down the field. Okay. And they get that penalty. And I, I think you remember, right? 21 seconds left in the game. I forget what the penalty was, but instead of opting to take their timeout, and keep 21 seconds on the clock. They opt for the 10 second runoff. Second, second runoff, which happened. Yeah, that happened in the earlier game. In the early so game, I can't believe these coaches don't value that 10 seconds. It's yeah, really, and, especially and in a pass heavy league. I mean, right. we know it as fans, as two guys that are sitting at our keyboards and talking about these games, we know that in 10 seconds you can get how many yards? I mean, a yeah. big chunk and, of yards, especially their weapons too. Right, the, and they've Kamara got the ball and like Thomas. Yep, they've yeah. got the ball in like the plus 30 going in. You tell me an extra 10 seconds there with Breeze doesn't help you. And what makes it worse, they never use that timeout. They go into overtime without burning that final timeout. It's that, just amazing that clock management, how they mismanage all that. I think you just highlighted the worst coach of the, the worst coaching moment of the week. And that is that they did not use that timeout because going in to overtime without that using that timeout is a complete and utter F. That is a failure as a coach, it's something Andy Reid would have done. Yep. And in, in the off season, depending on how the chiefs do, I'm going to have to shuffle my coaching rankings. Cause it, I, after that, I mean, I, I don't think I can keep having Sean Payton as my number two because uh, you know, I don't think breeze was great and there's problems there. And I, I just highlighted the Camara problem as well, but it really falls on Payton, the timeout thing, the lack of getting Camara involved and Dennis Allen, defensive coordinator, you go into overtime Friggin' whoever is calling the game, Troy Aikman realizes that the ball is going to friggin' Kyle Rudolph. Right. How do you not a call a timeout adjust, make them adjust, make them call another play. If you don't trust the matchup or B eliminate Kyle Rudolph on the fade route, do something where he cannot get that ball in the corner of the end zone. I don't care if there was a push off or not. Right. The fact remains you had a one-on-one situation with a six, six tight end in your scrawny corner, your short corner. Yeah. You've got to call a timeout there. And that's again on uh, Peyton. And it's on, it's on Allen as, as well as the defensive coordinator, uh, the saints at 13 and three, I get why people took them because of their record, but I think everyone needs to store this in the old memory bank. Next time we see a 13 and three team as a three seed, everybody's going to bet them obviously because of record. And they're not going to think about it. The saints are a team with an old quarterback. 
uh, an injured defense. They had, they were missing two or three defensive starters. And, you know, I hate to beat the dead horse here, but they haven't been able to figure out this Camaro thing all year, yep. all year. This guy has struggled. We're going to touch on the giants here in a bit, uh, later on, but it's the same thing that was going on with Barkley. I mean, it really is no different. Pat Shermer lost his job because he couldn't get Barkley more involved throughout the season. Not, they got him going late, but I mean, it was way too little too late. And Camaro is the same thing. This guy's the gold of your team. You hit him in the third round. He's a it's like hitting gold in 1849. Don't, <laughs> don't blow it. Don't blow yeah. it with this guy. Unbelievable. So let's move on to the last game. Eagles Seahawks. Uh, <laughs> I was all over the Seahawks and it, you know, it was an unfortunate break that Wentz gets hurts there because I do think if Wentz finishes that game out, oh, that's totally. a, a different game. Uh, oh, yeah. but let's not let people off the hook here. I actually have a good coaching decision and a bad coaching decision. So let's break them down here. Yep. I want to get your thoughts on uh, Doug Peterson here. So they're down eight with 625 to go in the game. The ball is on, I believe it's like the 30 yard line. So it's not a ridiculous attempt at a field goal there. He clearly did not trust his kicker. I yeah. What I took away from it. With that said, he Peterson, which is ironic. I think this is a pure proximity bias is he's the coach that's gotten the most heat. This week, this week, would you agree in the media? Yeah, which is I don't weird. understand that Peyton should be getting the most heat and then McDermott, then Belichick and Peterson of the losing teams, I think should be last. Yeah. Uh, you know, I get why you'd criticize him for not kicking the field goal and cutting the lead there late in the game, but I think they needed a touchdown to ultimately stay in this game. And he dialed up the right call on fourth and five. And the end of the day is miles Sanders just didn't haul the ball in. Right? Yeah. Uh, so I, I think I like the call there. Uh, you know, the, the conservative play there is you're at home. You need eight to tie. If you get the field goal there, I guess, you know, you, you trust your defense to stop and they ended up getting the ball back. And they I did. remember they, they drove defense down was almost great. Scored. Yeah. So I, you know, I can see why people are nitpicking that one, but he, that was on brand for Doug Peterson. He's always been aggressive. It worked for him in the super bowl. So I, I expected him to go for it there. Uh, so I'm not going to kill Peterson, but what I will do is I'm actually going to give Pete Carroll a lot of credit here, especially at the end of that game there. Okay. That third and 10 play where, you know, it went deep to DK Metcalf. I fucking loved it. I loved it because I actually thought that they were going to play a conservative. So I'll give you the scenario. It's third and 10, a minute 47 left to go on the game. Seahawks have the ball on their own, like nine yard line. I think it was Eagles have one timeout left there. The, the conservative approach there is you just run the ball, make them burn the timeout. Hope your defense holds them knowing that they need eight to tie the game. I actually turned to AK and I said, you know what? I think I'm going to trust Russell Wilson here. I would trust him on a little rollout and give and, him the decision. And, and, and guess who knew that get it, the guy on the other sideline. Peterson knew yep. that Seattle couldn't run the ball at all that game. And he did not want to give the ball back over to Russell Wilson. I think he made the right call there. And when they went for it again, they drove down the field. As you said, uh, this was before Seattle got their last possession in that deep ball to Metcalf. He doesn't kick again, and people were killing him for not kicking again there. But when you get the first, if you get the first down on that third and ten play, you're inside the ten with the perfect amount of time left to not give Seattle the ball ever again. You can score, get the two, and go to overtime and not have to worry about Russell Wilson even touching it. So I think that's the right call. Kicking the field goal, going down five, and then giving the ball back to Russell Wilson and hopefully that he doesn't throw, which is again obviously that they were going to throw. All you're hoping for is you get a Hail Mary chance with Josh McGown, McNown or McCown. Uh, yeah. That's not what you want. You don't want McCown from the 50-yard line hailing it into the end zone. There's no way that play was going to work. So I think he made the right call, and you hit the nail on the head. I mean, 
Wilson was going to throw at some point in those three plays because he's their best player and the running backs are simply not. And yeah. you know what? It was a great play fall, great, great play call from Pete Carroll. And, and, uh, and I think it was a good decision from Doug Peterson. He knew that giving the ball back to Russell Wilson was the end of the game. And yeah. sure enough, guess what happened? End of the game. I agree. I agree with it completely. So I'm not going to kill Peterson. I, I do like the aggressive approach there. Um, and Pete Carroll, you know, he, he got it done. He made a ballsy call at the end of the game. I don't know if it was him or the offensive coordinator, but they put the ball in the hands of Russell Wilson and he made a play for him. So that's the difference in that game. And Seattle's moving on now. So before we segue to the, the coaches that have been hired, it's very interesting though, to see what's going to happen with Philly, because over the last three years, uh, you can make a very legitimate argument that this was the best franchise in pro football. Uh, only the Eagles, Patriots, saints, and chiefs have made the playoffs all three years. And Philly has the most playoff wins actually over that stretch, despite wow. losing on Sunday. And they were really close. They played a tough game without their quarterback. What do you do with Carson Wentz? What do you do with some of these older defensive players running it back? Seems unlikely to a team that's been forward thinking. And that's how they got here is they're thinking forwardly uh, to remain competitive what are the, the, you know, something's got to happen. I think, you know, the Pats are a good example of that. You got to act prematurely sometimes and cut bait with some of these older valuable players. And I know Jenkins has been in the headlines. So it's going to be very interesting to see what Philly does in the off season. You have two new coaches in the, or three new coaches in the division, yeah. I should say. Uh, and Peterson's clearly going to keep his job. And Philly has been, you know, the creme de la creme of that division. And arguably, as I just said, the league. And so it's a very, uh, I feel that team is the media has picked that team apart in the wrong ways. I think Peterson did a good job in a terrible spot. And the real intrigue is what do you do with this Wentz character? Cause he clearly seems to have an injury problem and the, the locker room at points this season was against him and Foles clearly ignites them. And they got it kind of ignited by uh, Josh yep. McCown. I was going to say it's all very odd. And again, team is very good and yet they don't play as hard for their best player. It's, it's very strange. Very, it's going to be interesting. And the NFC East is going to be really interesting because it, it, like you said, you hit, it's a reset for three, three teams. teams. And sometimes when you hit that reset button, it happens quicker than you think. Yep. So maybe a Ron Rivera in year one, I know it sounds preposterous because they've got Dwayne Haskins right now, but maybe that that team wins the division if Philly doesn't make the right move. So it's very interesting coming off that game that everyone's picking apart Doug Peterson in the clock management, the field goals when it's like, really my biggest takeaway is like, do you try to trade Carson once for something? Wow. It's not a bad year for quarterbacks either. If you're Doug Peterson, uh, be big Dick Doug. I mean, this guy can coach quarterbacks, right? Yep. There's a go lot of guys get, out there. Go get Jake yeah. from from Georgia or Herbert from uh, Oregon. I don't know. It's Maybe it's worth very, looking at very deep quarterback draft. So uh, you know what? Anything's possible. Um, so as the, let, let, like you said, we're going to segue to the new coaches that were hired here. We all know I'm a giants fan. I got a lot of thoughts on that one. So we're going to do them last. Uh, you hit on Ron Rivera. So let's start there. I, I actually think that's a good hire for Washington. It kind of pisses me off because I love that. Washington's been the laughing stock minus the giants, maybe or next to the giants for this long. Uh, I think he's going to have success there. I forget who I read. They, they hired a really good coordinator. I forget. So I actually think that they're going to be pretty good. They've got a lot of young talent and especially if they pick chase young at two, that defense is now stacked. You've got, you just, yeah, I was going to say when you add a chase young to that, you should team, be on the fucking giants, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, their defense is going to be loaded. They've got three number one picks on the D line. And They've you gotta got to like McLaurin as a receiver. Yep. So, yeah. and if guys can stay you know, healthy, all of a sudden they look like a good team. 
Yeah, and Scott Turner is uh, Norv Turner's son. He's the guy that they hired. That's uh, right. Thank you. And, and it's a good story, too, because Norv obviously used to be the head coach, and so he's very familiar with the organization. I feel like the NFL wants Washington to rebound. This used to be a very proud organization. They were in the headlines for all the wrong reasons this past two or three years. And I just think with Rivera there, there's some stability. I think they're going to get the right GM. And you just nailed it. With Chase Young could be a franchise changing player. I saw it with Von Miller. I mean, yeah. that talk about a guy who changed the direction of our franchise completely. We drafted him in 2011. And our defense is, it's literally nine years later. And the Broncos defense has been in the top 10, I think every year. And yeah. so that's the kind of thing that could really disrupt not only that team, but your whole division. I mean, we went on to win five straight division championships with Von Miller. I mean, Chase Young could have that kind of an impact in Washington. Uh, and it's kind of out of the giants hands too. They can't prevent Washington from getting yep. this guy at two. Uh, and Rivera, just a little tidbit for us next year, put this one away. Sixth, co- sixth best coach against the spread during his tenure in Carolina. Wow. So this is a guy that exceeds expectations by the Vegas standard, which is an important thing to note. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Good little tidbit there. All right. So now let's go to Dallas. Uh, I'm <laughs> so glad that the Dallas stink didn't get anywhere near the giants. We'll get to that too, but I'm glad Mike McCarthy is not in the giants and that he is in Dallas. I think He's just going to be Jerry's puppet. Let's be honest. Yeah. He fucking had a sleepover at Jerry's. Like how old are these fucking guys? <laughs> you know, I have to say I've done the wild card weekend 180 on this. I've totally, you know, I was tweeting about it when they announced it. I couldn't believe that they were looking at this guy because the Packers are so much better without him this year. It's what it's a five or six game improvement. But I actually think I actually like the hire. I think he's one of the, he's one of the best coaching candidates on the market. And you just nailed it. Some he needs Jerry needs somebody that he can kind of micromanage. Maybe that dynamic won't work, but I think he found the right guy to replace Jason Garrett. It's I don't know if it will work or not, but I think it's the right hire for that franchise and the way that that organization is structured. Trust me, I wouldn't want it to be my own organization. I wouldn't I wouldn't want the Broncos to have uh, you know the meddling that Dallas has, but I do think he might actually be better than people are expecting. And also another good guy against the spread. He was number two during his tenure in green Bay over that, whatever eight year or nine year stretch number two against the spread. So this guy exceeded expectations. Uh, Rogers over the last five years of McCarthy's time missed 20 games. So, I mean, that's a lot of time missed with your best player and Rogers hasn't been in the top 10 for yards per throw or yards per attempt in the last five years. So, I mean, this guy might not be as good as he once was. And so a lot of that stink, uh, the Rogers not playing well and the Rogers dynamic kind of chased out McCarthy and it was time to go obviously. So we'll see how it goes in Dallas again. I wouldn't want that structure for my own team, but I think McCarthy fills that hole kind of almost perfectly. So I've done a little bit of a 180 on it. I I'm still shocked that he was the guy that they settled on him. What one day after Garrett? Yeah. I mean, it was that, that was pretty wild about it. Um, but I think it will work out for at least for Jerry, at least. for Jerry, sure. Jerry won't regret it. I think you're right with a lot of those points you made though. I mean, he, he definitely brings stability. He's a winning coach. You, you know what you're getting. You're, you're not, your franchise isn't going to fall apart because of McCarthy and they kept Kellen Moore as the offensive coordinator. So I think a lot of the offense continuity is going to stay there. And did, I, you read, my own, did you read the Peter King piece on McCarthy too? No. So he spent the last year and this is a really important tidbit too, for the listeners. And again, store this one away for August when we're doing the over unders and the betting and stuff. He took the last year uh, he was a non-analytics guy, very old school, traditionalist type coach. And he spent the last year 
being surrounded by all these sort of, you know, math genius types. And he's totally done like a 360 on his philosophy and his way of coaching. And so it was very important to him, according to this article, not to take a job uh, right away when he got fired last year. So he intentionally took a year off specifically so he could reorganize, learn some new stuff and then implement it in his next job. So I really, I like that. I know the media is going to probably hang on to it a little too much and then it'll be kind of overinflated by the time we get to August. But it's January. I feel like it's worth mentioning that this is a guy who's willing to change. He's not uh, some stubborn asshole like your GM in New York. <laughs> God. All right. Let's get to them. So I went through literally the 12 stages of grief in a matter of five minutes when this news broke. So I, I wanted rule to be the guy because he has giants lineage. He was our offensive line uh, assistant coach or offensive line coach. When we won a super bowl, he had a lot of respect from the guys that won that super bowl that are, you know, giants guys. So I w- he was my top candidate. He turned around two programs. I was high on him. And then the news broke that he goes to Carolina and I'm like, you got to be fucking kidding me. And now all these rumors start floating out that he just turned down the Giants. He didn't even give the Giants an opportunity to interview him. He didn't want to work with Gettleman. And I don't know how much of that's true. I don't know how much of that I believe. But then rumors came out that he called the Giants and offered. He said, Are you, would you match this offer? And the, and Giants, the Giants said no. Because yeah. the, the offer is, is crazy. He got seven years, $60 million. Okay, I love, now, I love it. Best coaching hire of the offseason and I think best contract. Well, best contract. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to ask you and pick your brain on that one. So, th- this guy I really want. I think he's a good coach, but it, it ended up falling out the way it does, and I can't blame him because you're now in a situation where you've got David Tepper who is the richest owner in football. So, you know, he's going to be at least committed to spending some money. He's got time. That's why I like that 7-year thing. That's an indicator that this guy, this is not going to be Freddie Kitchens. This will take 1, 2, 3 years. Unlike the Ron Rivera what I was just saying, don't expect Carolina to win their division next year and turn it around. This will take a little bit of time. Maybe they even bottom out more next year for God knows what, you know, but I think the goal there is that this guy rule is going to build them up from the ground up. And I, I love the fact that it's seven years because Tepper has yeah. Tepper is showing that, you know what? I'm not worried. I've got time. I've got money. I've got patience. And so I think he's got, and he hired the biggest innovative, innovative coach, I think too. He didn't hire a retread. So, yeah, and I like that. And I was going to get to that one. But then once I get this news that he doesn't come here, I start, I'm like, you know what? I'm pissed. I start doing the whole, you know what? Maybe he wasn't that good. Fuck him. We didn't want him. So I start thinking about it. Okay. What do you do? He turned around temple. He turned around Baylor. Those are two programs that, eh, where are they in the big grand scheme of things? Right. He has no top 25 wins. He really, when we were growing up, Baylor and temple were not even, they were zero win teams. One I'll give you teams. that. I mean, they were ranked. I remember one year temple was the last rated team in division one football. So, I mean, the, the fact that this is a respectable program, you got to give rule a little bit of credit there, but I agree. They're, they're, they're smaller programs. They're not Florida, Alabama or Auburn yeah. or Georgia but or something I, like that. Yeah. And regardless, I wanted rule. I thought, I think he will be a successful coach. I like his pedigree. Um, but the contract, man, I'm going to get, I'm going to read you this. Okay. Cause I saw this as I was going through Twitter, trying to process my brain around everything that was happening. Matt rule is now the sixth highest paid coach in the NFL, having never been a head coach or call the play there ever. There's five coaches in front of him and all five of them have, have won super bowls in his contract too. There's a $6 million buyout and potentially 10 million more in incentives in this contract. So if I'm the giants, I, there's no way I'm matching that contract and good for Matt rule for getting that contract. Yeah. You know, I think this was explained best on a radio show I was listening to Belichick when he signed his deal in 2000, whatever it was worth, 
think of how much money that guy has made for Robert Kraft over the last 20 years. He's probably made Robert Kraft $500 million. Robert Kraft has oh, spent yeah. what? 50 million on him total in 20 years. So, I mean, the dividends pay. So Matt rule, if he builds a program that is a winning culture, a culture, which is what Belichick is all about, that will pay the $60 million contract will be nothing to Tepper. Imagine if Carolina is the next Patriots over the next 20 years. I mean, it could happen. I'm just throwing it out there. So, I mean, I guess what I'm saying is the investment is 60 million. The return could be three or four Super Bowls. I I know it's not everybody's Belichick, but I mean, it definitely, sometimes you just have to pay. It's really nothing to these, these billionaires. I mean, what is it for Tepper? $60 million. It's, it's really nothing off of his bank account. I, I do agree with you there. Um, yeah, and you're hoping for that. You you are. That's the goal. You're hoping they build stability. So I'm with you there. So now the Giants. I'm like, well, who the fuck are we gonna get now? I'm I'm thinking, well, maybe it didn't we take get McDaniels. it didn't take very long. No, it did not. And I I thought I was like, all right, well, maybe we get McDaniel's. You know, maybe it's someone like that. I did, I didn't want to retread coach. And then it breaks that we get Joe Judge. And I literally, I I shit you not, I had never heard the name Joe Judge. I didn't even know he was a candidate. I didn't know you. I couldn't tell you who he coached for. I was floored by that. Okay. <laughs> Just absolutely floored. And I was like, I, I, this is so on brand for Gettleman and this current did, batch. Did, of did, did you get any work done yesterday? Is the no, I, there was about two hours where I literally, I was just like walking around. I was pacing. I was trying to process this. And I texted my buddy Hughes, who's a, a diehard Patriots fan. And I was like, what the fuck is this? I was like, you got to tell me this is some kind of joke or give me some information. Cause I know nothing about him. And he told me that I was going to like him. So I start digging in, I start researching, I start thinking about what's going on. Joe Judge has got a pedigree, man. When you talk about pedigree, Joe Judge has pedigree, okay? So this was a special teams guy who went from a graduate assistant in Mississippi State to being on Nick Saban's staff, okay? Now, you got to know your shit to even get in the room to interview with Saban. So he's got to be smart. He runs the special teams program for Saban for, I think, like six or seven years, something like that wins two national championships and Saban personally calls Belichick and recommends him. So now judge goes from Alabama and Saban to Belichick and, and the Patriots and he runs their special teams. And they've always historically been very good on special teams. The last special teams coach that got hired famously without having a coordinator's job was John Harbaugh. That turned out pretty well. So between the pedigree and what he's done historically with the Patriots special teams. I actually think I like this hire. I actually think it's an outside the box decision. Everything that I've heard and seen and read on Twitter and Reddit is this guy is just completely disciplined, but more importantly, he's focused and knows how to teach the game, which I think did not happen with the current, with the past giant staff. I think Shermer may be a good play caller, but couldn't teach and couldn't execute that from X's and O's to being on the field, and neither could James Betcher, the defensive coordinator. There are so many mental mistakes that I think focusing on a guy who is is dedicated to like learning, education, in the room, studying the playbook, know your shit, do your job mentality, I actually think works. So I did a full 180 on this, and now I'm on board. I know this is a podcast, but we've got video here. So you know what I'm going to do, Coulter? I'm putting on my Giants jersey, baby. All right. I've got it back on. <laughs> the Saquon jersey. with the hire. I want to see what you think about it, and I've got uh, more to, more to come on this, but I want to get your take first. I, I love the love the white Saquon jersey, and Ryan did just throw that on for people who are listening. 
<laughs> That's great. Um, I, I like the hire as well. You, you, the Harbaugh analogy, I think is great because you can be the head coach without being the coordinator. And I think that fails so many more times than people realize Chicago we've harped on. So, you know, it doesn't work. The head coach should be a guy who's controlling the team, not a part of the team. And so Chicago is de- doomed, in my opinion, with that offensive coordinator being their head coach. And Patriots, that's the real heart of why they're so successful is Belichick and coach from a bird's eye view. He can help the defense when he needs to. He can help the offense when he needs to. He can chirp in on the special teams. But over overall, he's the master puppeteer. He's pulling all the strings from above. John Harbaugh, same exact thing in Baltimore, and it's worked so well, yep. my one fear with this hire, and I'm sure that you feel the exact same way, is Dave Gettleman. Yeah. yeah. It's Dave Gettleman, and it's this old-school Giants mentality bullshit where they couldn't match the Matt Rule offer, and it's this old-school Eli era that the Mars can't seem to part with even though Eli is leaving now. But you know what? It's like – you know when. When they made that quick pivot to Joe Judge, I just kept thinking of Mikey uh, calling the girl Nikki in Swingers like six times because it's like <laughs> it just reeked of such desperation. He gets he gets the what he perceives as a rejection, so he's like calling her like nonstop, and it sends him into a tailspin. And so it's like I ho- I really hope that Joe Judge isn't their t- the Mikey and uh, Ron Livingston scene. I really hope that that's not what happens here. But I couldn't help but think that like they were a scorned lover by Matt rule. And then they just like went into this dark place and then they came out like, Oh, Joe judge. That's, you know, uh, you know, I don't know. Hi, this is Nikki. Leave a message. I just got out of a six year relationship. Okay. That should help explain why I'm acting so weird. I just wanted you to know that it's not you. It's me. I'm sorry. This is Mike. Hi, Nikki. This is this is Mike. Could you just uh, call me when you get in? I'm going to be up for a while, and I'd just rather speak to you in person instead of trying to fit it all into... The... Fuck! Hi, this is Nikki. Leave a message. Uh, Nikki and Mike. This, uh, this, this just isn't working out. I, I think you're great, but uh, I, maybe we should just some, take some time off from each other. It's not you, it's me, it's what, it's what I'm going through. All right, uh, it, 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 it's only been six months. Mike? Nikki, great! D- did you just uh, walk in or were you, were you listening all along? Don't ever call me again. Wow, I, I guess you're home. <laughs> For a podcast called Double Down Trent, that was the best analogy you possibly could have made, but I hope it's fucking wrong. I really do. I had to get it in there. And then the other thing is, like, Mikey's ex in that movie, Michelle, represents this old school, like, Eli era. And it's like this heartbreak gives, you know, the heartbreak is the last three seasons, as you know, as a fan. It's good because it gives Mikey the push to go to L.A. and chase his dreams and live out his future as a Giants fan. That's Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones. So this the pain that you've gone through is netted you two potential stars. However, you have to lose this old school mentality and you have to lose this old school way of thinking. And that's what Gettleman represents to me. And so that's the toxicity is I really like the hire of Joe Judge and what he could potentially do as a Belichick Harbaugh type and overseeing the operations from the, you know, bird's eye view. 
but I can't stand anything that Gettleman represents. And the Maras are the same way. They're both in the same boat of this toxic old school NFL approach that ah, I don't know. I like the Joe. I like the Joe Judge hire. I don't like the Gettleman Mara combination, and yeah. so I'm I, I'm left more hot or left more cold than hot on it. I guess. Yeah, usually not because of getting, Judge. No, yeah, I agree. And usually when you're getting these kind of rebuilds, starting fresh, you got to start clean. You got to fire the head, the GM and the head coach have to go right. at the same time because they got to be in unison. I don't know if you uh, saw this, but I've got a conspiracy theory. I would like to be the first one credited with this because I saw it all over Twitter. No one had mentioned this. Okay. I wanted Belichick. I thought there was a moment that Belichick would come to be the Giants head coach. I thought there was disconnect with Brady, Kraft, and Belichick. I thought it was something like there. So apparently the Giants called Belichick. Okay, so this is real. They called him before the Joe Judge hire. I think a lot of people were under the impression that maybe they floated out the option for him to come be the head coach. But I think the realistic expectation was they called to see what he thought about McDaniels. Like, give an honest opinion about McDaniels. I think, and this is a this is a deep, dark conspiracy that goes way back. Okay. I think that Belichick recommended his true protege, Joe judge to the giants instead of McDaniels. Okay. Yeah. Cause he wants and McDaniels to take over, to take over New England. I think yeah. he's pissed with Bob with Kraft because I think Jimmy G Jimmy G it goes back yeah. to that, that where Jimmy G is just getting started. I think Belichick thinks if he had Garoppolo, he could still coach maybe another 10 years and flex his dominance, win a couple more super bowls, which tips the scales of power between Brady and Belichick as to who actually was the one that's the most responsible. I think he's pissed about that. So what I think happened, and here's my conspiracy theory. During that phone call, when he recommends judge, I think there was some kind of handshake agreement where Belichick says, you know what? We're taking one more shot at this with the Patriots. Me and Brady, we're coming back for one more run at this. And that's it. So you take my guy judge, put him in as your head coach. You're probably not going to have a great season, but guess what? That gives you room to then fire Dave Gettleman and bring Bill Belichick in as the GM. That lets Belichick pick his players, build his program, and mold around his protege and build back a franchise that he loves. There's an internet clip that I'm going to pipe in here of him just the first. It was one of the first times he came back. And excuse me, no, it was the last time he went to the old Giants stadium as the Patriots coach before they tore it down. And he walked through the old Giants locker room, the 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 meeting rooms where he's oh, talking I've about Warren. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 and yeah. he's almost, he's crying. He's getting emotional thinking about his his time spent there. I think this is that, great, by the way. <laughs> this is Giants fan porn right now. Porn like crazy. There's about a two percent chance this happens. But I mean, imagine that. Imagine him coming with his guy in place as head coach, and he gets to build the roster for the next 20 years as long as he wants. Well, I'm you're doing that in our Here's what your theory has working for you. The Giants are all but guaranteed to have a GM vacancy at the end of next yeah. season. That's yep. number one. Right. Two, I think now it's more obvious than ever before, especially if the Browns don't net him as their head coach, that Josh McDaniels really will be Bell Belichick's yep. successor. Uh, and three, that whole triumvirate of Belichick, Kraft, and Brady is definitely headed for the rocks after this last loss. And I agree with you 100%. I think they're going to all run it back for one last rodeo. So I think all of those elements, you are 100%, no doubt about it. Giants will have an open GM vacancy. Yep. Patriots are going to run it back one more time. And McDaniels will inevitably take over for Belichick if he doesn't go to the Browns. I don't know why he would go to the Browns personally, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, so you, your theory does have all those elements working for it. With all that said, 
it's a little crazy because I think Belichick still wants to coach and he's an insane uh, guy. Yeah. But maybe he thinks he could control judge like Jerry controls his coaches or something like that. I guess that's what you're going for. That's what I'm hitting at. Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah, I don't really know their dynamic totally, but I mean, maybe that really is it. Um, But I mean, wouldn't you think that that if that ends up, if your crazy theory happens, wouldn't you want to parlay it with Belichick as the coach within two years after that, he fires Joe judge and just takes over the, I mean, I just feel like, I feel like that dynamic is just not going to end up working out. It's going to end up with Belichick firing judge and taking over the team and coaching it and being the G like, and, and that might be fine too, but I, I just don't think it has like a longevity. Like you're, yeah. you're looking at it. From. I mean, I'm obviously it's a, it's a conspiracy, you know, it's a serious long shot, but I think, you know, you reach a certain point where Bill, Bill's getting old, man. It's, it's a young man's game coaching. It takes a lot of time and effort. Not that GM doesn't, but, you know, I, I think he can, and he would have that job for life. That, that would be a position that they gave him for as long as he wanted it. They're not going to fire Bill Belichick as a GM. So I, I don't know. I mean, it's a fucking crack shop, but I, I think there's at least a little bit of credence to what's going on around here. And I think there's maybe a very small possibility, but what we do know is everything you just said. I don't trust Gettleman with the fourth pick in this draft. I guarantee he fucks it up. Yeah. I was going to say one thing is for sure. The giants will be hiring a new GM very soon and, and it could be bill Belichick. I mean, yeah. why not? Why not put it out there into the Twitter universe? And then you could screenshot it a year from now when it happens and say, I call this motherfucker. So I told you I was going to run back an episode or apart a from that Patriots game and that final punt, right? My first question that I would ask if I'm a New York Giants reporter is say, hey, Joe Judge, as the special teams coordinator, what the fuck happened on that last play of that game? Why don't you yeah. fair catch it? Let it roll the one. That would be my first question that I would ask. Well, I think it goes to the point I was just raising. I think it was a Bill Belichick override. Yeah, I think yeah. Bill Belichick you know, when he wants to can override Joe judge and override McDaniels or override Patricia, whoever the defensive coordinator is, his son. That's the beauty of the Joe judge, John Harbaugh model. When you have a coach, who's not just ingrained in the offense, like a McVeigh, when you're doing it from a bird's eye view and you can touch the defense, you can touch the offense, you can have input on everything. That's the best way to be a good coach because you can call things and Belichick got this wrong. I'm not defending him, but he had his hands in that decision. I don't think that was a Joe judge decision. I think that was a Belichick saying, bring Jules up. Let's try to block this punt or get a, get a weird play going here at the end of that game. Yeah, no, I agree. So that puts a bow on the coaching circle of bad coaches, good uh, hires, whatever. <laughs> I was going to say that we got a lot of coach movement, a lot of coach movement. So it's going to be interesting. Uh, let's shift our attention though. We've got four pretty good looking games uh, on the docket here. So uh, before we do that though, we're going to look at our picks from last week. So uh, real quick, it looks like you had a fantastic week. You picked Tennessee plus five over new England. That was a win. And your key pick was Seattle and Philadelphia under 45 and a half. So you, my friend, never three point weekend. I was going to say, never feared that under over under as I didn't think I would, you know, I'm my only regret is I don't live in Vegas and I couldn't profit off of it, but talk about a confident bet. And I'm, I'm happy that uh, you and Aaron agreed to allow me to pick the over unders in our little pool here in the playoffs. Cause that, that enabled me to avoid some of the weird spreads that I didn't have a good read on and just pick yeah. the easy. That was just like, uh, what a lame duck over under. I know Wentz got hurt, but I really that don't wasn't think going over either. Yeah, yeah. I don't think with Wentz it was going over either. I, Seattle can't, you know what? Let's table that because yeah, let's just say I'm going to dip in that. Well, one more time before, before the podcast's over. 
was New England minus five over Tennessee. And not only that, it was a challenge. So he went directly against you. So, so happy he that he challenged. That was great. Yep. He gets one win, but I think the challenge is a negative one. So I'm going to call him with zero points there. Uh, and then myself, I picked Seattle minus one and a half over Philly. I almost made that my key pick. I didn't. For my key pick was New Orleans minus seven and a half over New Orleans. Key pick Casley, 0 and 1 in the playoffs. Not a good look, but I still get one point. So you, sir, are in the driver's seat with three points. All right. I like that. Yeah, so the, yes. chal- is, the challenge is a negative for Aaron and not a positive for me, correct? Correct. Okay, correct. so I got three because yeah. the best bet and the normal bet, that's the three. And, and Aaron, Aaron got the if negation. If he had gotten the challenge correct, he'd have gotten a bonus point, but because he got an incorrect yeah. challenge. There you go. So All he's right. at so, zero. So three, one, zero. Let's, so let's jump into it. Why not? That's it. Let's look ahead, man. So, again, we're making two picks. Uh, you had the, the good weekend, man. You had a lot of, uh, good wins. You predicted it. You told people stay away from that parlay. Take it away, my friend. All right. So this one, uh, you know, this has been the, in the Coulter lab here and I know in your pool, you've got it at six and a half, but a lot of places have it at seven. I'm taking the Vikings plus seven. And this is the Coulter lab theory that I think I spewed you back before even Thanksgiving. San Francisco does not have a home field advantage. I have not heard one pundit point this out, and it's a disservice to people who care and bet on sports. So people that are listening, I'm doing you the big favor here. The Niners field is in the middle of nowhere. It's half full of sweets and stiff people. It's the Yankee Stadium of the West Coast. It's a very dull crowd. And yes, I'm well aware it's going to look very excited when the cameras open on it on Saturday afternoon as it's the first game of the playoff weekend. People are going to be going bonkers. But trust me, by the third quarter, this place is going to be silent. This is not a home field advantage. The Niners were 3-4-1 and one ATS this year. That is not that good for a team that was number one in the NFC. I think you're paying a premium for home field advantage that's non-existent. And, you know, not to make this all about gambling and theory and weird stuff, but the NFC is plus four in the Super Bowl. That tells me that not only does Vegas think that the winner of the AFC is going to be that much better than the NFC, they also think, heads up, everybody, they don't think the Niners are making the Super Bowl. Check out the Super Bowl odds. The Vikings are 6-1 to one to make the Super Bowl. That's not that steep for a team that's a six seed. The Niners are the favorite, obviously, but, like, you know, what that tells me is Houston is double, double what Minnesota is to make the Super Bowl. So that's telling me that the Vegas odds makers think that Minnesota has half the chance. Actually, I should correct myself. Houston is 20 to one to make it to the Super Bowl. Minnesota is six. So the team with the biggest odds in the AFC is 20 to one, where the team with the biggest odds in the NFC is only six. I think that's telling me something that the Vikings are, the Vegas thinks the Vikings are actually better than most people think. And let's just run through a few other things. Vikings stopped Kamara. I think that they can stop whatever the hell uh, San Francisco is going to do with their running backs, whether it's Mozart or Coleman I don't think it really matters. I also think Vikings have a good pass rush. I think it disrupts Jimmy G. Uh, And if that offense is left to be one-dimensional with just the run game, I like Minnesota even more. And this is Jimmy G's first big playoff spot. I'll take a team with more experience, a defensive line. You're a Giants fan. I'll leave it to you. You tell me what is important in the postseason more than anything. Pass rush. Exactly. I love Jimmy G getting tormented. I hate the home field advantage that's non-existent. Give me the Vikings plus seven. Yeah, you you made a ton of great points there. Uh, the fact that it's Jimmy G's first playoff game, I I think needs to be mentioned. You know that that's not something that you just kind of stroll in there. I know he's had poise. He's had he's won a lot of regular season games. He's looked good, 
but the playoffs, it's, it's a different environment and you got to account for that year. We've talked about that home field advantage and not being there previously. You're completely right about that. Um, now I got a few thoughts that I would like to do here before I make my picks and tell you what I think about some things here. So I'm in a separate league with a few friends from home where uh, we make three picks a week and the winner gets this trip paid for uh, when you go, we go to a, a casino in Connecticut, food, drink, lodging is all paid for. I'm in the championship round. This, th- these games, these picks. So I had talked to you. I said, what do I do here? Do I, you know, I had a couple of options. I'll run them to you. These are my three options. My first one was I take the fifth amendment. I don't want him listening. My opponent, who's also in the championship, who I, I don't know if he listens to the podcast. He may. You can't, may you can't take that risk. You can't right. Take that so risk. I, do I take the fifth amendment and just not make any picks, not make any thoughts? Well, then I said, you know what? Fuck that. That's a disservice to our fans and to our listeners. And you're so right. then I said, keep it casually. Keep it casually. So then my second thing is I said, hey, maybe I uh, throw out some disinformation. Maybe I go all Belichicky in here. But then that throws off, and that's a disservice to our fans as well. So I said, fuck that. Only give them the truth. Yep. So I turned to my two best pop culture references that I've got, okay? The first one being from the town, when Ben Affleck walks into Fergie's shop and goes, I'm not doing the fucking job, okay? If you got a problem with that, I live at 544, whatever it is, Bleecker Street. Come find me. Let me ask you something. Who the fuck do you think you are? The only guy in Charlestown with a gun? You guys run numbers and pump dope. You're an old guy with a fucked up face who don't know his glory is behind him. I ain't fucking working for you. Got it? You got a problem with that? I live at 551 Bunker Hill Street. Stop by any time. You know where to find me. That's how I feel. Come find me. And my second reference comes from one of my favorite fucking movies of all time, A Few Good Men. I am Colonel Jessup. I am making these picks. You want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. Son, we live in a world that has walls, and those walls have to be guarded by men with guns. Who's going to do it? You? You, Lieutenant Weinberg? I have a greater responsibility than you can possibly fathom. You weep for Santiago, and you curse the Marines. You have that luxury. You have the luxury of not knowing what I know, that Santiago's death, while tragic, probably saved lives. And my existence, while grotesque and incomprehensible to you, saves lives. You don't want the truth because deep down in places you don't talk about at parties. You want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. So I'm making just, my pick. I was just watching that movie last Friday night. It's so good. It's, it's so fucking good. incredible. So it, hum, it hums like a hummingbird. It's so it good. really does. So now that long tangent has me to say I completely agree with you so much so to the point that this is also my pick. I've got Minnesota. If you see it at plus seven, jump on it. The league that I'm in has got it at six and a half. If you get up to seven and a half, fucking run to the fucking bank and pick that game. Um, I I like what they did. They showed us in Seattle or uh, in Seattle. They showed us in New Orleans that they can control the clock. They can dominate. They can play good defense. It, is Seattle's or I keep saying Seattle? Is San Fran's offense really that much better than the Saints' offense? I don't think so. I mean, they've got a great running game, but I don't we know. Saw man, them play a, lot of a couple weeks ago. That those right. two teams were completely even. It took one George Kittle monster play, and don't yep. get me wrong. I think Kittle. Um, you know, I wouldn't recommend taking the money line because I think Kittle actually is yeah, the game changer. I mean, I, I yeah. do think. I don't want our leader, our reader, or our listeners, readers. I don't want our listeners to think I'm projecting the Vikings to win this game and go to the NFC Championship game. I do think San Francisco will play in that game. All I'm saying is, if you look at the odds, 
the Vikings are being very much respected by Vegas, whereas Tennessee, Houston, even Seattle, Seattle almost is the exact same odds as Minnesota. I think yeah. They have a, a much more winnable game against Green Bay. Uh, I, I don't know. I just think that the Vegas, you look at Vegas, they'll tell you, you just, they'll tell you with, with numbers, what they're thinking. Minnesota being six and a half. I like that even more. They're telling me that the game is actually on a neutral field. They're saying the Niners would only be favored by three and a half points on a neutral. Yep. Couldn't agree more. And I actually got some stats here. So I looked into this a little closely. So uh, going back to 2015 of the past five years where a home team was favored by seven or more points in the divisional round. Okay. They're, they're straight up 14 and three. So they win those games, but against the spread, they're six, nine and two. So one of these high spread teams is going to cover uh, maybe more, maybe two of them are going to cover. Maybe three of them are going to cover. Minnesota is not the one that people are going to take. Right. Another key point here, Minnesota. What are we even hearing all week? They got lucky. The pass interference, the overtime, et cetera, et cetera. Excuse, 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 blah, 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 blah. Her cousins. They're going to t- gravitate towards the Tennessee's and the Deshaun Watson in Houston. And they're going to take uh, Russell Wilson in Seattle. I guarantee of all the underdogs this week, Minnesota is the least bet by the public. I guarantee it. Absolutely. I love it. I yep. love Minnesota. Yep. I do too. So we're with you there on that one. So that's my first pick. Uh, the model, he did send us the picks. So for his non-key pick, he is taking Baltimore, Tennessee under 47. Nice. What I like how he's going there? total. I think he's wrong. And you know what? Just for shits and giggles. I'll throw a challenge. He <laughs> threw the red challenge flag. Well, here's another key concept here. And I, I hate to always go theory based, but doesn't the NFL want one of these games to go over? Yeah. Isn't they it need, so obvious one. that one of these two Saturday games is going to be just a divine, one of the all time great NFL games. I put that in the bank. That is as big of a lock as the don't bet the new Orleans, uh, new England parlay last week, bet on one of these two games, Minnesota, San Fran or Tennessee, Baltimore being a gen. And I know we just got a couple overtime games, but they were really kind of sloppier. That Houston Buffalo is not a gem of a game. That was like stuff, bad coaching, all sorts of, you know, that wasn't like a classic. Yeah. Uh, and, and there wasn't really another classic over the weekend. Minnesota, I guess, was quasi great, but it wasn't really anything to write home about. One of these two early games on Saturday, I just see is going to be dynamic. And I, Lamar, case in point, Lamar can get to 40 points by himself. Tennessee is going to be chasing and scoring. We just saw this on Thursday night, like four weeks ago with the Jets. It was like a 42-21 game. The Jets had to yeah. play catch up the whole game. That game went over by two touchdowns, three touchdowns. Yeah, my take, though, is, uh, you know, I can tell if Tennessee's defense is legit off that Patriots game or if that was just a Patriots shitty offense. We know the Patriots offense struggled. I, I just don't know how good the the Titans defense actually That's is. what I'm betting on the over for. I don't think it's very good at all. And I think Baltimore's offense is obviously the best in the postseason. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, and, I'll throw the challenge flag all day, especially. Oh, it, man. What, is, what, what does he have it at? You said it was 47. 47. Yeah. Yeah. So the public has bet that down from 48 and a half to 47. So the public is or the betters, I should say, are all over on the under. I, I'm, I'm under. Lo- you know what it is? The weather, I think, is that's why people are probably yeah, freaking out. rainy and, and shitty in Baltimore. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll challenge. Challenge okay. flag is on the field. I already threw it. I, 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 I was, uh, as I was talking, I was wondering, why is everyone on the under here? But it has to be the weather. Yeah. It, it's the weather. But for me, uh, you know Derrick Henry is going to dominate. He eat clock. So I, I, I couldn't tell based on the performance on Saturday if Tennessee is going to be able to score, how much they're going to stop Lamar. But I then came back to this realization that there's a reason that these these teams that had a bye week had a bye week it's because they're that much better than these other right. teams 
and especially Baltimore. So, uh, you know, I'm not being as ballsy as you to, to throw the flag there, but I initially was on the under here. Um, but you, you, you had, you made a great point. So it's tough. Uh, for me to tell. I'm also a big, and I don't think I've actually done this on the pod this year, but one of my least favorite players in the league is Marcus Peters. And that guy has been riding the <laughs> luck, the luck train all year long. I'm so sick and tired of hearing about how good he is. He's not that good. He's not a pro bowler. It's such crap. Uh, and I like AJ Brown to have at least six catches for 90 yards. If they get the passing game going in Tennessee, yeah. I mean, we saw with the run offense you just alluded to with Henry, if those two things can complement one another, I, this game will definitely go over. I mean, you're, yeah. ta- you're talking about Brown could be the best receiver left in the playoffs. You know, yeah. I mean, I know Hopkins is amazing and Devonte Adams is amazing and Terry kills amazing, but this guy, AJ Brown is like an untapped uh, oil field. I mean, this guy could be the next Terrell Owens. He's dynamic and I like it. I like the over. I like him a lot. I'm just not ready to call him the best one with, with those guys you mentioned still. No, no, still he's, not, he's not in the top tier of the NFL right now, but I'm saying he could he be, could, this yeah. could be his coming out party. And as I said earlier, this, one of these games will be a classic. Can't you just see like Tannehill threading the needle to AJ Brown and him having big catch after big catch. I mean, I would go as far to say three of the best offensive players, top 10 offensive players are in this game. Henry Brown and Lamar. I love it. I love the over. I know right. the, the weather is obviously the reason why people are pounding the under, but I'll, I'll throw the challenge back. I don't but care. you know what though? Then these, they're two run heavy teams. They're going to score points on the ground. Lamar Jackson. I think Mark Ingram is a little questionable too, but you know, I, I like it. I'm there. Yeah. All right, Coulter, give us your key pick. Oh, you know what? As I said, I kind of teased it. I'm very grateful. You guys gave me a nice Christmas gift allowing me to bet these over unders because this one is as key pick has lock as it gets Packers Seahawks under 46 and a half. I don't trust Seattle's run game. And most importantly, I do not trust the Packers pass catchers, not named Devontae Adams. I think that is an abysmal group of pass catchers that Aaron Rodgers has. He does not trust them. I do not think they're dynamic. I don't trust LaFleur in his first playoff game to call good plays. I think they're going to have meltdown after meltdown. They're going to punt, 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 punt. I think we're going to see a lot of Seattle's punter. I think the Packers pass rush is great. I think the pass rush will get to Russell Wilson. It's really going to limit Seattle. Uh, The weather at night will make this uh, game very frigid. Um, the Packers defense, I know I just said they're going to get to Wilson. They actually might be very legit. And this is a storyline that's being ignored, similar to the San Francisco, not having home field, take out their three losses, 13 wins. Green Bay has, they've given up 20 points or, uh, or less 10 times. So they've kept their opponent 20 or less 10 out of 13 wins. I think that's pretty damn good. It's impressive. Uh, and it's going unnoticed, I think. And then the last point I raised it last week when I took the Seattle under, Seattle couldn't score against friggin' Arizona. They got blanketed by Arizona. That's not a good defense. That's a bad defensive team. And they got completely shut down in the passing game by Arizona. If Green Bay can take out, if they can pass rush Wilson and, and, and cover their receivers with Metcalf and Lockett, what the hell does Seattle have on offense? I think this game could easily be 16, six in the final. I don't think it's close to hitting 46 and a half. And I think it's all because of the quarterbacks. I think the quarterbacks are the only reason why the line or the over under is so high. I don't think Rodgers has the weapons to succeed. And I don't think Wilson has the running game to compliment him. And I think the Packers pass rush is great. A clowny Wagner on the Seattle defense. This is under of the year for me. Yeah. Uh, this is not going to make for a uh, great podcast, uh, entertainment, but that is also my key pick. I, I mean, we just, we didn't we do this before last either. week. We yeah, swear we, we did not, yeah. we did not discuss this. 
We just saw it. I mean, the, how is this game going to play out all that much differently than the Seahawks-Eagles game? I mean, they're, you've had every great point there. You got LaFleur's first game. He's he, You know at some point in that game he's going to either make a, a play call stupid, or a decision yeah. Yeah, that's right. going to fuck things up. Rodgers has not looked the same. They, he's struggling to connect with Devontae Adams, I, I, which blows my mind. That That shocks me that they can't connect and get on the same page. They're going to try and run the ball like crazy with uh, with with Jones. I mean, he's the, he's the X factor for me in this one. If he can dominate the line of scrimmage, uh, you know, they they might have a shot to score some points on the ground. But Seattle's defensive line is really good. Their defensive backs make good tackles. I I, I think we just saw this play out in Philly last week. So I, I don't see how this is going over at all. Like, I, I think this is going to be like a, a 21 14. Yeah. My one fear is that this is, this is the game that I was just talking about. This is the instant classic that we'll be watching on NFL network. And that I could be totally missing it. And that the other games are going to be all blowouts and Vegas is totally right. The spreads are right on the money and none of them, you know, this one's a four point spread. So they will, they do think it's going to be close and back and forth. And so that does freak me out, especially what if it goes into overtime, that is the only thing that freaks me out about this. And that is totally hyperbole and weird Coulter being a theorist that the NFL wants a great game. Uh, that's the only thing that would hold me back from even considering not taking the under is that this could be the epic game of the week. Uh, I just do not see it. I think Mike Pettin is coaching a great defensive unit in green Bay. And this green Bay team reminds me a lot of my 2015 Broncos. I think they're going to get far in this postseason on their defense, not on their offense. Yeah. I, I think Seattle's running backs. I know I mentioned it. I just, that's how can you think too? How can you they get excited about that unit? And then how can yeah. you get excited about green Bay's pass catchers? They're right. They're both just as bad as the other one. It's really bad. Uh, you're afraid of the, the NFL wants a classic game, but you know, the, not to do a, but it's actually to agree with you. These two teams have had really historical playoff games. I mean, who can forget the onside kick a few years ago? They had a reg, the regular season, the fail Mary. I mean, these teams have history. And anytime you've got Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers playing, there's always a potential that these two guys kind of go toe to toe, almost like that great boxing match that you want to see. Like you, you they're going to slug it out. One guy punches, gets down, comes up, repunches. Right. Like I think that's I think what everybody's expectations are. Yeah, I think but, people are going to. I think the over is actually going to be bet. I think that people are going to take the over in this game, which is like make makes me even more happy. I think what you just said is like the public is going to look at the quarterbacks and be like over. Yep. This is the under of the week. Do not get disguised. These are two not great offenses and two really talented defenses. I yeah, think that, I mean, uh, Metcalf hey. got free against a bad Eagle secondary green Bay secondary is really good. I like some of the guys that are back there. I don't think Metcalf is a factor in this game at all. Lockett hasn't been himself. And again, Arizona shut this team down. I think green Bay could definitely shut this team down. I would say I just said it earlier, 16, six, my prediction is something along those lines. And we just said it earlier, pass rush. Well, guess what? The Packers, Zadarius Smith's got 13 and a half sacks. Preston Smith has 12 sacks. I mean, these guys get to the quarterback. Russell Wilson's obviously very agile, very tough to sack, but I see a, a defensive heavy game. You've got Clowney on the other end. You know, there, right. there's going to be, there's going to be like a lot of pass rush in this game. And I think that's, what's going to help us. So I'm with you there. And you have accurate Four. quarterbacks. You don't have Jameis Winston pick sixing you to, <laughs> exactly. to screwing you on the under here. I mean, this is not a game where I don't see Russell Wilson or Aaron Rodgers throwing a pick six. And if they do, and that causes the game to go over, I'm so sorry to our listeners, but you can't really forecast that in, especially with the most two accurate quarterbacks in the NFL. These are the two most accurate. I don't think they're going to throw picks. I think they're going to yeah. protect the football. The defenses will be good, but they're not going to be 
pick sixing Jameis Winston style. And you know else they're going to do? They're smart quarterbacks. They're not going to make a stupid yes. mistake. You're, so you're going to see them maybe take a sack instead of forcing a throw, which or is something why like that. that why that green Bay receiving core to me, the more I watch them play, that's why they're so bad is because Aaron Rodgers is so smart that he knows I'm not going to force the ball to Marquez Valdez Scantling. No, I'll just take the sack. We'll hand it off to Jones. Maybe I'll get Adams later. Maybe I'll get Jimmy Graham later, but like this guy's not going to force it. You know, he's smart and Wilson's the same way. He's smart as well. Yep. Couldn't agree more. All right, my friends. So we're on the exact same page step. I love it. It's in, baby. So now it is time for the model's key pick. He is coming in with the Texans plus nine and a half against the Chiefs. What do you make of that one? Full agreement. Um, Two reasons. Most importantly, A, it is my hedge of the week because I have a Packers-Chiefs Super Bowl future that I badly would love to hit. I'm greedy. I won our pool, and now I want to win my future. (laughs) I I want to eat my cake as well. Um, so that's most important. I'm going to take Houston and then B, I think that they can run on Kansas city. I know the chiefs defense has improved, but I don't think it's improved that much. And if you get, uh, any sort of complimentary football with Deshaun Watson, this guy's going to thrive and maybe I'm wrong here, but long-term just keep an eye out on Houston's running game, because once they can develop a strong running game, Watson will be the game's best quarterback. You can mark that down. And so what I see in this game is their run game will be good. It will allow Watson to play well. They'll keep it close. I know Bill O'Brien's on the sidelines, so it's very (laughs) tough. But I just – I think the Chiefs have – it's like we did it with the Bills earlier. This is a team that has a lot of bad memories, a lot of torture in this uh, house of horrors in Arrowhead. So full agreement Uh, for selfish reasons and for football reasons, I think – they can run the football, and I think they can keep it close. And I think Kansas City will play tight. I also think of all these favorites, uh, Baltimore will be played a lot. I think Kansas City is going to be the most played favorite of the week, I think, in my opinion. So yeah. I do like Houston plus, plus nine and a half. That's a lot of points, too. It's a lot game. of points for Deshaun Watson, who who showed at the end of the fourth quarter and in overtime that this guy can make fucking plays when it matters. I've literally, Coulter, I'm not even kidding you, I've switched this pick at least three times today alone. Okay. I've gone back and forth on this line because there's a few things that worry me is, is Bill O'Brien is one. We saw the first half of that Houston bills game where they just didn't show up. Like they were not even on the field. I do think Kansas city is significantly better. I think the week of rest, you've got Mahomes coming off a bye week. He's got the rest that lets his knee heal up a little bit. Mahomes has weapons though. That offense puts up a lot of points. They score a lot. Um, my other thought is, uh, Spagnuolo is their defensive coordinator as a Giants fan. Maybe I'm a little, little partial to him, but uh, their defense and say what you will about them. They've, they've come together down the stretch. So I think they might show up a little bit here, uh, but Watson's the wild card to me. I, I really don't know what to make of this line. So I'm not touching it. Yeah. I was going to say of all the four games, this would be the one that I would probably stay away from the Seattle Packers ones, obviously in the, the Vegas zone too, which is a tough one to predict. Uh, it's gone up from eight, which I think there's value on Houston at this point. It's been bet up to nine and a half. It might even go up to 10. Honestly, I'll just grab the points. I'll take the best number. Don't bet it now. If you want Houston, just keep waiting. You might even get it up to 10 and a half for all, you know, who knows? I mean this again, I think this is the runaway line of the week. I think public is going to keep pounding the chiefs. They played the best, uh, football and you mentioned it too. Mahomes is getting healthier. Their offense is explosive. So there's a ton of reasons to take Kansas city here. And I think the betting public will do that. Um, that's why I'm going to take Houston. I'm just going to fade, but 
this is probably right. This is probably the stay away of the week. Yeah. I, I just don't know what to make of it. So um, fingers crossed Kansas city just advances in my parlay or my future stays alive. That's all I want. I'm <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I'm so greedy. I, I think a lot of these dogs have a shot to cover, but I definitely want to see Baltimore and Kansas city. I think that's easily the best matchup out of the AFC. And you know what, not to go back to it, but the, the, the advanced Super Bowl line is kind of indicating. And if you look at the Super Bowl odds, it's indicating that Kansas city and Baltimore are going to play each other. I think that's pretty obvious. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Yeah. Uh, okay, so that puts a bow on the NFL. We covered the wild card. We looked ahead at the divisional lines. We've got one more for you. This is a packed episode, okay? We've got, on Monday, the national championship game. We've got a doozy of a game between Clemson and LSU, two unbeaten just powerhouses who – I think are going to make for an absolutely legendary game. At least I'm hoping I'm hoping this is like one of those Alabama Clemson games that we saw a couple years ago where it was just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. So we're going to make this as a, as one of our picks, we're going to discuss it. We've got to break it down and we're going to include it as part of our contest. So the line right now, as we're seeing it is LSU minus six points against Clemson. Uh, the over under, which I believe is 69 and a half. Jeez. Yep. That's a lot. And a half, 70. So let's, let's call it 69 and a half. So there's no ties. What do you got here for the college national championship? Uh, yeah, I'm going to take the points in Clemson. I, again, team has been there before. I get why it's actually six because it's in LSU's backyard. So there's definitely some sort of uh, home field advantage, quote unquote here. Uh, being in New Orleans. But I mean, we saw Clemson in this spot last year where they were uh, plus six and what they did at Alabama. I, honestly, I've looked at the team up and down and I know Burrow is the number one pick and I know he's the highest winner. I know he's been great, but I think that Alabama team last year was better, right? I, I, that's a great question. I think so. And Clemson rolled them. (laughs) Clemson didn't just beat them. They freaking smoked them out of the water. So, I mean, this Clemson team all year has been hearing how not great they are. Their competition sucks, et cetera, et cetera. They're going to be the most motivated team, just like last year. Uh, You know, I like Bro a lot. I like Coach O, but I'm not going to. Not going to take minus six. I got to take the points. Yeah. Uh, The big thing for me with Clemson is, you know, they lost all those studs on the D line, but they have their their team is just as good. I mean, they're filthy. They went under the radar. I was saying it all year long to the model that I'm shocked that Clemson is continuing to be under the radar. And it just simply is because they played in the ACC. But there's a press conference Dabo gave. He's like, listen, that was our schedule. We beat these teams handedly and there's nothing we can do about that. And he's right. I was completely stunned that this line is six. I mean, stunned. So we were talking about before we started recording. If you had told me this line was two and a half, I'm really starting to think about who I'm picking. That's something that you got to really debate on. Six is just too many fucking points. And I know LSU just came out and fucking steamrolled Oklahoma. Well, that's the other thing is level level of competition is like Clemson beat the way better team in their game. I know they, they struggled to do so at times, but I mean, they still did win. And I honestly think Clemson has the best offensive players in this game. Lawrence, ATN, uh, the receivers in Clemson. I, I kind of like it all for Clemson. And so even if they fall behind and there's the Joe Burrow factor, what if LSU goes up 14 nothing? Clemson is not like Oklahoma. They're not going to be stunned. This is a no. team. They'll take the punch. Uh, I don't know. I just I like Clemson a lot. And I, I the stats all – the Davo stats are just insane. The guy is a great coach, and I'm, that's who I'm going to ride with. 
Yeah, I'm shocked. Uh, I'm with you. I'm taking the points here. In fact, I think that they might win this game outright. I've been going against too. Coach O a lot, but yeah, I, I yeah. mean, they've got the pedigree. They've been there. I, I can see an outright Clemson win here. I'm, I got to take Clemson in the experience. I mean, LSU's got a little Buffalo Bill, you know, Kansas City Chief thing going on, right? I mean, this is a team. Yeah. I feel like every time that they've been in this spot, they've blown it. And uh, I, I just can't hitch my wagons to them as six point favorites. It just doesn't make any sense. And don't get me wrong. I love me some Coach O. Okay? I do too. I I, Coach o. <laughs> it's a great, it's a great matchup. I'm excited for it. But I, when you're talking from a gambling point of view, you just have to take the plus six and even better for us is that the public seems to be on LSU. I mean, yeah. it's driven it up from five to six and they're still betting it. So, and you want to know something else? You know who else is on LSU? The model, the oh, models LSU minus six. So we, uh, I don't think we can challenge that one. That's the, the college level. We're not going to do that, but he's against us here. So he's got LSU minus six. He's a believer in burrow and coach. O. I, I just think it's too many points. Yeah. I mean, you could see it. You could see LSU celebrating in the, you know, Superdome and everything. So that the, where it's being played is the only thing I'm really skittish about. It could get out of hand because of that, but yeah, I don't know. I, I like every other factor for clubs and everything else points to them. I agree. Well, that puts a uh, end to this episode. We went through a lot. So uh, we want to thank the listeners for coming through. You got any final thoughts for the weekend, Coulter? Just that uh, I, I think that under is an all time great one. Yeah, it, it's going to look good. So uh, stay tuned for that one. So that is episode 64 in the books. We will see everybody next week on Double Down Trent. Baby, look at me. Look at me. Your money. And you know what else? You're a big winner tonight. I want to leave. You're a big winner. I'm going to ask you a simple question. I want you to listen to me. Who's the big winner here tonight at the casino? Huh? Mikey, that's who. Mikey's the big winner. Mikey wins. Fucking All right, fine. I'm an asshole, but you know what? You're the big winner tonight, Mikey. You're the big winner in more ways than one.